Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise, or meditation. But not everybody has time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There are no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com slash baseball. That's drinkhydrant.com slash baseball for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com slash baseball. 15. Have we found a hidden gem in the shortstop pool? And which Astro might have three strikes against him on draft day? Like death and taxes, Dodger's been a Dodger. <laughs> I have but, not had uh, three co-brews uh, yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15. On The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Tuesday, June 16th. I'm Al Melkier. I am here with Michael Beller. And, uh, you know, this is uh, certainly not the way we want to do this show today, given what the news is. But, uh, you know, we'd certainly be very remiss to not talk about what's going on in the negotiations. So as many of you listening now are, you know, probably very aware that uh, on Monday, Rob Manfred told uh, ESPN's Mike Greenberg that he's not confident there's going to be a 2020 baseball season. So uh, the negotiations have taken a turn south. Michael, uh, where does that leave you at this point, thinking about a 2020 season and about baseball in general? Feeling horrible about both of them. Um, This could just be yet another in a long string of negotiating tactics. Um, If I take any sort of solace from this at all, it seems that in the sphere of public opinion, that everyone or the vast majority of people are on the player side right where they should be. The league and the owners have bungled this from the start. It seems clear by the day that they don't care if there's a 2020 season, so long as it means a few extra bucks in their already very stuffed pockets, and the players are getting screwed, we're getting screwed as fans, and it's just a really, really sad state of affairs for the sport of baseball and Major League Baseball. It's really, really sad. It is, and especially the way it's been done and the reason uh, that Rob Manfred is given that uh, he doesn't want the union to have the ability to waive its right uh, to claim that uh, management violated their agreement back in March. It's it's extremely disappointing, and I, frankly, I, I think you've done a good job putting words to it. I have a, a difficult time really finding the words uh, myself, but... Uh, We'll just have to, you know, watch this develop and hope that somehow uh, there can be a season out of the wreckage of this and there can be, you know, baseball um, as we know it or something close to it <laughs> out of uh, the wreckage of this situation. Um, in the meantime, Michael, uh, we are going to proceed with some yeah. hope here. And, Let's do uh, it. Let's pretend like there's going to be some baseball. Let's do it. <laughs> I can't wait. Absolutely. So, yeah, now we, we had a show planned uh, where we were going to be talking about 
couple of players on the the assumption that there would be a season with at least 50 games or so. So uh, let's proceed with that. We got a really interesting question on Twitter uh, that I'm turning into a uh, a show topic and actually probably two show topics. Uh, So thank you, Ballpark Fantasy Sports, for your uh, suggestion on Twitter. Uh, And from this account, there was the question of, should we take fast or slow starters into account as we are evaluating players for upcoming drafts and what would be a, you know, a short season, whether it's 50 games, 55 games, what have you. So what do you think about that just in general, before we get onto a couple of players we're going to profile here uh, because of their patterns of slow or fast starts? Is that a thing? Slow starters, fast starters? And if so, is that something we should take into account? So I actually do think that's a thing in a regular season. I just think it's going to be hard to apply to this season because while I do believe in it over a regular season, we have an established pattern, right? Guys have just gone through spring training. Now they're starting the season late March, early April, and a lot of the places that they're going to be playing, it's still pretty cold. Uh, Maybe, obviously, there are some warm weather places, some dome stadiums, but not everywhere. So there are these established rhythms that go with slow starts, just like there might be with hot starts. And the problem here is that we don't have those rhythms in place anymore. We don't have uh, the the coming straight out of spring training, coming straight out of this six-week-long spring training and getting right into games that matter. We don't have uh, cold weather anywhere in the country at this point. Everyone's going to be dumped right into warm weather, even if they are all playing at their home stadiums, right? We are safely into the summer now, so no real cold weather concerns until the fall gets here. So I think that it is something that is going to be hard to apply to this season. And even if it does end up coming through, I'm not sure we could say, oh, this guy's always been a slow starter. It could just be that the 60-game window that the season ends up being happened to be what would have been a slow 60 games for him even in a full 162-game season or a slow 30 games in a normal 30 games, slow and hot 30 games, whatever it might be. I think it's going to be hard to apply that construct to the season, but I do think it's still something that's worthwhile to talk about and something fun to talk about uh, in the window uh, of the two guys that you picked out for us here. Yeah, well, and uh, let me just go into a little bit of how I arrived at these two players that we're going to profile here. Uh, the players are Yuli Gurriel and Paul, uh, Paul DeYoung. Uh, and the reason we're going to talk about them is because I went through the last three seasons and first I just looked cumulatively who was much better and who was much worse through the end of April than they were in the other months of the year uh, from May 1st on forward. And, uh, you know, if you just look cumulatively, I mean, there's an interesting list of players. I thought, oh, these could be kind of cool players to talk about. But as I went through the lists, um, most of those players that were cumulatively much better or worse in April, it was usually based on just like one season. You know, just for example, like, um, well, actually, I was going to say Eloy Jimenez, but that's a very bad example because he's only played one year. But um, uh, Jock Peterson was one who um, was looked like a fast starter when you looked at um, the last three years. And actually, if you looked over the, the course of his ent- entire career, but that was basically based on two really aberrant Aprils that he had. Um, you know, that that really boosted that. And the other seasons, he seemed like he was better or maybe even a little worse in April than in the rest of the year. So. Uh, when I when I got right down to it, it was just came down to these two players, uh, Guriel and, and DeYoung. And just one last comment before we dig into them uh, about the general pattern. I did some research on this. I want to say now it's probably seven or eight years ago as to how many players over several seasons appear to be fast or slow starters. I do agree with you, Michael. I think it's a thing. I think it's a thing for a really limited number of players. And as you, you intimated, uh, at least some of those players, it may just be because of where they play their home games. So 
it's probably not something I'm really going to take into account, but let's at least look at these two players and see what we can learn here. So let's start with Yuli Gurriel, uh, who as of now has a 133 um, overall ADP on Fantasy Pros. And he's uh, only had three full seasons, but over the course of those three seasons, it sure does look like he is a slow starter. Last year, his OPS uh, through March and April was uh, more than 250 points lower than it was the rest of the year. Uh, there was more than a 100-point spread in 2018. In 2017, wasn't so good uh, even through the end of May. Um, so, you know, maybe there's something here with, excuse me, Yuli Gurriel. Um, and, and, you know, I think if anything else, it could be a tiebreaker because I think you have to wonder if he's one of the players we should penalize for being better in 2017 than he would have been without sign stealing. And he also, so he had this pattern of being much better in 2017 as a whole, dipping in 2018, and then peaking again in 2019 when offense was up in general because of the ball being used. Um, so it's a, a lot to take in about Yuli Gurriel. <laughs> so I guess we can, we can knock these things down one at a time. First of all, do you, does, is the evidence stacking up for you to look at Gurriel as a slow starter? I think it is. Yes. I think I would go in that direction. Um, I'm not sure how much it's going to apply to this season, uh, but I do think that would be a fair thing to have talked about, about him back in March. I also think though, that the, that the, the the, the uh, ADP is fair because of what we're looking at at the first base position. It's a position that thins out much quicker than you want it to, much quicker than it has in recent years. Um, you know, obviously this is a position where we typically are looking for power, and you know, Guriel's not going to provide that sort of power that you expect uh, from the top guys at the position, most likely. But there is some decent uh, decent production across the board, so I think that the ADP is maybe a little bit inflated because of the shallowness of the first base pool, but I still think it's fair overall. Okay. And, you know, that, again, that's a whole different consideration there. That makes a, makes a lot of sense. Uh, so, yeah, I think we're in agreement that, you know, maybe he deserves some sort of discount, maybe a slight one for being a slow starter, uh, given that, uh, you know, if it takes him a few weeks to crank up, then in a short season, that that's something to consider. Getting back to the, um, the banging scheme aspect of this, in 2017, yep. <laughs> in, in 2017, uh, at home, he had a 22.1% home run to fly ball ratio. On the road, 10.6%. A 304 ISO at home, a 192 ISO on the road. That's not a bad road ISO, but that just puts him in a different category than if you look at the the combined stats for him. And his exit velocity trend on flies and liners, really pretty weird. Uh, just... Um, over those three years, 2017, 94.4 miles an hour, uh, which is pretty good. It's, you know, around average, but uh, maybe on the high side of average. Then it dipped in 2018 to 89.7. Hmm. <laughs> and then last year, it rebounded to 91.4. Still nowhere close to 2017. So this is where you get the scratching the chin emoji. I mean, those numbers do scream I'm a dude who knew when what a lot of pitches were when they were coming when they were on their way to me. I mean, so and like, you know, we talked about this a lot in draft season. It was going to be hard to figure out um, a lot of the Astros, and it was going to be easier, I think, to figure out the guys at the high end, right? Like Alex Bregman. Every hitter benefits from knowing what pitch is coming. Alex Bregman probably going to figure things out, knowing or not knowing. Yuli Gurriel maybe doesn't necessarily fit into that same group, uh, so I do think it's something that is worth considering. However, 
just looking at the first basemen who are around him by uh, ADP and by consensus ranking, you're looking at uh, Edwin Encarnacion, Danny Santana, Yasmani Grandal qualifies at first base, but you're probably going to play him as a catcher. Uh, Christian Walker, like, are you going to consider those things for Gurriel? Yes. Is it going to be enough to bump him behind someone like Danny Santana or Christian Walker? I don't think so. So maybe he slides down a little bit relative to the full player pool. I don't know if he slides down at all relative to the first base pool. And when you get to that stage of a draft and you are maybe thinking about specific positions a little bit more than you would have been you know, five, six, seven rounds earlier, I'm not sure it's going to really cost him that much in terms of hard currency on draft day. All right. Yeah, fair enough. I, you know, you put it in that context of where the tiers are and, and uh, you know, what the quality of the first base pool is. And uh, I think it de- definitely tempers some of these uh, potential concerns. Let's talk about uh, shortstop where, you know, some really good shortstops are kind of buried in the rankings because there is a lot of depth there, which, you know, it feels like a weird thing to say compared to first base. If you just, you know, came in your time machine from, you know, like 2015, <laughs> but um, Paul DeYoung, I, I, it was kind of interesting that he wound up on my radar uh, through this fast starter, slow starter question, because I really had not thought much about him during this offseason. But um, his uh, last two seasons, which are his only full seasons in the major leagues, uh, he in March and April uh, in 2018 and 866 uh, OPS, uh, the rest of the year, 710. In 2019 through the end of April, 1010 OPS uh, through the rest of the season, 701. So very consistent from May on forward, uh, but much, much better in both of those full seasons in March and in April. Limited sample, but, you know, maybe we can infer from that that, um, you know, maybe he's somebody we bump up a little bit. Um, and before, Michael, uh, you respond to that, I also want to point out that just like with Gurriel, where there's other factors that might make you a little nervous about him, with DeYoung, maybe this possibility of him being a, a fast starter um, bolsters your your confidence in him because I think he got kind of a raw deal last season. He hit 30 home runs, uh, which I have to admit, that, that surprised me when I went back and looked at him. And uh, he hit only 233, but he did improve his strikeout rate, but he hit only 259 on balls in play. And I really couldn't find anything to suggest that this is somebody that we should expect to be you know, worse than a 300 hitter on balls in play. So when you look at where projection systems have him, and they all have him hitting for a higher average uh, than he did last year, um, the uh, the bat has him 12th among shortstops. ATC has him 16th. Steamer has him 18th. I have no issues with any of those projections. They don't seem wildly optimistic. And he's 27th among shortstops in ADP on Fantasy Pros. But I think Paul DeYoung is an easy buy. You know, what's interesting about those numbers is that he's – exactly the kind of guy you would expect uh, to have the reverse sort of hot start, slow start splits based on weather because he plays in a part of the country that starts the season, you know, not brutally cold, uh, but still colder in St. Louis, an outdoor stadium, and then just gets incredibly hot and humid as the summer sets in uh, and is that ideal hitting weather. So you would expect him to almost have the reverse based on weather. The fact that he doesn't is maybe something that uh, knocks against uh, weather being a reason for a guy starting slow or a guy starting uh, hot and certainly isn't something that we can base our uh, uh, predictions for him on. But what I will say about Paul DeYoung is uh, the counting stats are going to be there. I mean, the counting category stats have pretty much been there every single year of his career. You can bank on that. Secondly, 
great walk rate trends over his career as well. His first year in the majors, a 4.7% walk rate, 2018, 7.3%. Last year also uh, bears mentioning that it was the most plate appearances he had uh, by about 200 in any season of his career, a 9.3% walk rate. That is uh, a clear sign to me of a guy who is understanding the major league strike zone better, understanding how major league pitchers are going to attack him better, and being able to lay off pitches that two years prior he would have flailed at. Love to see that sort of growth in a hitter. We know what the counting category stats are going to be there. You put those two things together, and quite frankly, Al, especially at his ADP, I almost don't care what he gives me in the batting average or OBP categories because I know what I'm getting elsewhere, and with the improvements that he has made in walk rate, I'm willing to bet that it is going to be more along the lines of what the projection systems are saying for him, more in the range of a 250 average, 320 OBP than the 230 average, 315 OBP he put up last year. Yeah, well, I'm in agreement there. And, uh, you know, it's it's uh, a find that maybe I wouldn't have uh, come across if not for this uh, question that we got on Twitter. So uh, appreciate that. Let's uh, just real quick here, the featured read. Uh, from Eno Saris, which just fits right in with the initial discussion about a 50-game season. How much more legitimate is an 80-game season than a 50-game one? Great piece uh, by Eno with some great analysis. So on that note, we will wrap things up for uh, Fantasy Baseball in 15. For Michael Beller, I'm Al Melkier, and we will be back here on Wednesday. Mm-hmm.